Well, hey, good morning. Well, we are here the final Sunday in our study through the book of Romans. So after eight months, we have made our way through these 16 amazing chapters. And, uh, and I hope those of you that have been a part of this journey from the beginning, that you've uh, seen Paul's words to this fledgling church in Rome, how it's as applicable and relevant and real for our lives today as it was back then. And so we're going to kind of sum up a few things. Actually, this is, today we're going to uh, finish some thoughts that we started last week in this final chapter in Romans chapter 16. So you're going to want a Bible this morning. We do what we do, worship God together, and then open his word to see what he might be speaking into us to live it out the rest of the week. So if you need a Bible, just slip up a hand. We've got some people who will pass out some Bibles uh, so you can follow along. Otherwise... You can open up there to, to Romans chapter 16. And I hope also uh, on your way in that you're able to get one of these worksheets. I know uh, last week apparently a lot of people said, uh, no, thank you, because it, they thought it was a coloring sheet for the kids, which you can if you want. I'm sure we got crayons somewhere that we can use, but... Uh, but no, our hope, obviously, is that, is, and as this has been true all along, is that we would move from what has been presumed to be a, a book about high theology to recognizing it as a book of practical reality. The life God has called us into, who he is and what he has done, who he has called us and what he has made us to do. And then in Romans 16, we come to this conclusion of asking the question, who has he called us to do this life with? That just as important as personal identity, who you are in Christ is missional family, who you are called to do this life with Christ with. And so I hope that you have that, that sheet. If you need one, we have a few more of those that we can, we can pass out. And so just as a quick reminder to catch us up, really we were asking this question last week of, of the what. What is it that we are called into? This gospel way of life, a way of life centered around the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. That God himself took on flesh, moved into the neighborhood, as John 1 said, full of grace and truth. Jesus the visible representation of an invisible God, or as Colossians says, in him, the fullness of the deity, the fullness of God dwells. And in Jesus's life, we see a life fully lived, awake and aware of the presence of God, the kingdom of God at hand, that Jesus embodied and demonstrated. What is it like when God shows up? That if we wanna know who God is and what he's like, we look at Jesus. But it wasn't just this perfect life expressing as humans who we were created to be and how we were created to live. But Jesus also came not only to live, but to die. That sacrificial lamb, that blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, that the things that held, that God held against us, that kept us separated from him, that he nailed to the cross to let that sin that separated us from the love of God die with Jesus so that we could be forgiven and set free. 
that the guilt and the shame that we carry because of the brokenness of our lives and the brokenness of this world would go with Jesus, that through Jesus we might receive the life of God in us. And not only that Jesus came to live and to die, but to rise again. That being God, death couldn't keep him down. That our sin could not keep him chained. And we saw three days later, as we'll celebrate here in two weeks, that Easter Sunday, that resurrection morning, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, proving himself the true king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, reigning above everything in heaven and on earth. And that resurrected way of life is the life that we are invited into. And it is this gospel message that Paul from Romans chapter one through Romans chapter 16 has said, this is what your life is meant to be defined by, who you're meant to embody, what is meant to, to, to root you in your identity. This is who you are because this is what God has done. This is what you're called to do because this is what God did for you. And not only that, that Jesus dying for us, rising again, offering the forgiveness of sins and, and moving us on mission in a, in a gospel way of life, then says, not only do I call you, does God call you sons and daughters, but he's knitting you together as brothers and sisters. This family of faith. And that is what the church is. The family of God on mission together, filled by the spirit of God rooted in our identity, sent on our calling, awakening the dreams that God has placed inside each one of us, learning to hear from him and follow him together. That is the church. Not this building that we come to, not this service that we attend, but the life that we live together as a community of saints, brothers and sisters. This is what Romans has been about from the beginning. Paul recognizing that in this church that would have been so easily torn apart by division and distraction that, that would have been undermined by the forces working against them and the forces working within them. Paul is saying, no, if I can ground you in the reality of that gospel truth, then you can become the kind of people that I can launch this gospel mission to the ends of the earth that all people would know this good news of Jesus Christ. And so last week, we looked at what we are called to, this three-dimensional way of life. And then we said, even at Grace Monroe, we have said that this is the kind of life that we, that, or the, the, the marker by which we measure everything here at the church. What does it look to live this up in and out way of life? I'm gonna try my amazing drawings again. And so, here we go. Is that showing? So we are called to live this three-dimensional way of life. I didn't mean for that to be yellow, but I kind of like it. Upward in relationship with God, growing in our intimacy with God, our Father, our awareness of the presence of God with us through the living Lord Jesus Christ, the presence of God in us, the hope of glory by God's Holy Spirit, 
But then in this upward way of life, we're called to live in relationship with one another as a family of faith, serving one another, welcoming one another, encouraging one another, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, loving one another. And then in this upward and inward community that we're called to live outward on mission, to love and engage, to serve, to be a witness to the world around us. Just as Jesus said in John 20, 21, just as the Father has sent me, so now I send you. And so we looked at the what, the up in and out way of life. And I hope last week you took some time uh, to, to sort of see what areas do I need to recalibrate to bring balance that I'm living in that full three-dimensional reality, recognizing that so often we tend to just live in one or two of those spaces where we're tight with God or we have close relationships or we're serving and engaging the world around us, but that we always need to be recognizing, okay, God, how are you reforming me? Like, how are you shifting me back into balance? But then he says, okay, so that is the what. We're, we're, we're called to, to live this way of life, but how? And then we, we looked at that, that table fellowship of Acts 2 and the four legs that hold up that table. As it said, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the, the stories of Jesus that all the scripture was pointing to, to the prayers, to the fellowship, the sharing of life, to the breaking of bread, that communion life center around the forgiveness of God for us and for one another. But then the next question we need to ask, we know the what, we, we get a picture of the how, but, but who? Who are the people God has called us to? And so you see on your page there, and I'm not gonna do a great job of drawing this, but... We call this the crowd cloud. Now look at the room around you. There's probably a hundred or so, about a, right out of a hundred people in this room. And so often we can think of the church gathered as the hundred people that are sitting in a room, worshiping God, opening the scriptures together. But the reality is this, in this room isn't just a hundred people, but this room actually represents a thousand people. Why? Because every one of you have a sphere of influences, people in your life that you rub shoulders with, that you're in relationship with, that you have conversations with. And so if God is wanting to reach the world, it isn't just simply that, that we get this and we live this, but that we recognize that through us, God desires that other people would get this great news of the gospel, that other people would begin to live in the ways of Jesus. And so this, this crowd cloud, we imagine the sort of like this group of people here in this room that all of us have a greater level of influence of people that are around us that God is inviting us to intentionally engage. One of the mistakes I think that we can make from, uh, even from the teaching last week is this thought that I need to add more things to my life. Especially when we look at that up in and out teaching and that, that sort of recalibrating how um, that three-dimensional way of life. 
It's like, okay, man, God and I, we're tight. I've got some good, good uh, accountability relationships, people that are encouraging me, encouraging me, challenging me. But that outward piece, I mean, that, I'm really lacking that. So I need to, to find another couple hours a week on top of everything else I'm doing and add some form of service, some form of being on mission. I don't know when I'm gonna do that, maybe Thursday between four and six, right? Anybody else recognize that kind of feeling, that pressure of adding? Like, I don't have space to add more to my life. Or at the end, it's like, okay, I, I'm, I'm serving. I, I have relationships with people that don't know Jesus. I, I am, I'm, I'm uh, in devotion with God. But I'm not really creating space where I'm being held accountable, where I'm truly known and seen, where I'm opening up my heart and what's going on on the, in, on the inside, the places that I feel challenged or I'm struggling. So I need to find time in my already busy schedule to, to go on and, and add this inward component. And maybe that's true. Maybe for you, it really is something. It's like, how do I add to my life? And I hope some of you took the time challenge from last week. I don't know if any of you engaged in actually taking a hard look at how, where my time goes. And for those of you that weren't here last week, the challenge was this, is to take every day for one week and in 30 minute increments, write down what I do for the whole week and then go back and actually ask the question, are the things that I'm doing, the things I'm spending the most time on, do they actually align with the things that I would say are the most important? just like we would with a, a financial budget where we take account of where does my money go before I could figure out how I actually want to spend it in the same way. Where does my time go before I actually can become aware of how do I want to spend it? And so maybe there are some things that we say, okay, I need to let go of this. I, I, don't, I shouldn't be filling my life with, with Fox News or CNN or ESPN or whatever it is, uh, or Netflix or TikTok or all the things that we can just busy up our day with, this mindless nonsense that surrounds us constantly. Maybe there's some things I do need to let go of to be more, to, to create space for. But for most of us, it's not adding to our lives that God is inviting us into is actually being intentional with the lives we already have. For most of you, it is not about adding to your life. It is about being intentional with the life that you already have. And so who? Who is already in my life? And so I encourage you, even as we go through this, I hope you have a pen just to, to even just say, okay, who are my people? Who are the people in the world around me? And, and maybe I don't have a relationship yet, but I see them all the time. Maybe God is inviting me to actually be intentional in this space where I spend hours of my week. And so that little house at the top, it just symbolizes our oikos would be the biblical word for our household. Our friends, our family, the people that are already in our homes. And so even right now, to just jot down a few names, who are the people that are already in my orbit, my friends, my family? That next one, all those, uh, little, that little cluster of people is to, is to recognize, okay, who are my neighbors? Maybe write down a few names. Maybe you don't know them by name, and so it's just like the weird guy at the end of the street. The lady that always walks her ugly little dog. I don't know, whatever it is. So I used to, uh, I was on staff with Young Life. Young Life is an outreach organization in the high schools, and, uh, and this was 
pre doing everything on your cell phones. And so we would always take a note card in our back pocket and have it in our back pocket. And when we would meet uh, students, we would uh, write down the names of the, of the kids that we were meeting. But then we always would need some kind of reminder, like mean looking kid, you know? And what was amazing would be like a year, two years later, finding these old note cards and seeing, you know, Matt, angry at the world kid. And, uh, and then realizing, you know, once God had established a friendship with that kid, uh, just seeing their real heart and knowing their real story. So it's funny the ways you begin, but as God, as you begin to intentionally pray and pursue the ways that God opens those doors into the people that were formerly strangers that become friends. And ultimately, uh, as Paul would see in his life and ministry, gospel partners. But neighbors, who are they? Who are they for you? Even right now, just write, jot down a few names or a few cues. The next one, those, those uh, buildings, you can probably guess it's uh, our work, our vocation. Maybe for you, it's a third grade classroom. Maybe it's uh, being a plumber or going into the office or a shop that you own or a restaurant that you run. Who are the people that you run into? For many of you, that your, your work is where you spend the majority of your hours. And so the question is, did God actually care or want to be intentional with the place that I actually, I actually spend the most of my time? We're gonna come back to that one in just a second. But you keep on going around this crowd cloud as we're just trying to identify who are the, the people God has already positioned around my life to rub shoulders with. That, that, that there could be this shared influence, whether it's to help to, to go inward in depth of relationships, spurring one another on towards love and good deeds, or to go outward on mission that they might encounter the love and the grace of Jesus. But that, that next one is the places we play. The places we play. For us, it's not so much where we go and play, but when I was uh, doing this for myself, recognizing it's uh, my son's soccer teams. We spend hours a week at the, at the fields, both at Felker Park and then up in Winder. And so it's the families of the kids that play soccer with my sons, or the places that they play. Who are they? Writing down their names. The next one is church. Who are the people in your life that God has already brought from your church family? Maybe people that you just have met once or you know them by name, but they come to mind as you think about this community. The chair simply rec- uh, represents the places that you, that you regularly go. You hang out and visit. It could be Bold Springs Coffee or Starbucks or the grocery store, LR Burger, what are the places that you're regularly hanging out? Actually, there's a local restaurant that I go to a lot. And, uh, and one of the people on, on my list that we pray with is one of the managers there that's there all the time. The next one represents the school. If you, those of you that have kids or those of you that are in the school, uh, that are still in school as students, hours of your week, hours of your family's week, Maybe the names of other parents that are in your kids' classrooms. Maybe it's their teachers. Maybe it's the administration or staff as a church. We're intentional about being present, active on school campuses, serving the schools, encouraging the teachers and the staff. That's a regular part of the rhythms of this church family. But that's not just simply so that we'll be considered a nice church in the community. That's so that God could open the door to build relationships with people. 
And then last one, the question mark is just anyone else. You gotta have that, that final category. So hopefully you're writing down these names and there could be five, there could be 50, but you see this, this crowd cloud of influence that surrounds you, that God has intentionally placed you, that your life is not an accident. You have a story that matters. You have gifts by the Holy Spirit that are in you and God knit you together in your mother's womb, an identity that you're meant to carry, a purpose that you're meant to live out, good work that God has prepared in advance for you to do as Ephesians declares. God looks at your life and he sees this beautiful package that he has intentionally placed. Do you see your life that way? Or is it just thing this, I wake up in the morning and I do what I do until I'm too tired to stay up and I go back to sleep and I do the same thing, Groundhog Day again and again and again. And so we write these names down and then we begin to pray. Romans 16 is Paul's crowd cloud. It is the, the people that he met through his vocation, his tent maker buddies. It's the people that he met in the neighborhoods, living life alongside of him. It's the people that he met in fellowship, in the synagogues. I don't know if... Paul played soccer, but maybe some of them are people that he met on the soccer field. And so as we write down these names and then it is your list and I would encourage you as you write down this name to, to put it somewhere and just to pray. And just to simply pray, God, I pray your blessing over these people. I pray for opportunity that your gospel could encounter, your love and grace could encounter these people. And so we move from names to pray with the goal of, of knowing their story. God, where are they coming from? What are they struggling with? What is that place of pain in their lives? What would be good news? What would be the gospel for them? The hope of freedom, of grace, forgiveness, of a new life in Christ and then we pray for those opportunities that that good news of Jesus who meets us wherever we are with love and grace and power would encounter them. And so for some that you're writing down just like the guy in the red hat, we pray for the name. For those that we know the name, we pray for their story, that we'd have the chance to know their story and then the, for those that we know their story, that we pray for that, that gospel intersection. And the goal that God has for us is that our faith would not just be this, this bucket that's over here, this drawer that I open up for an hour or two every, every, every week, but then go back to the rest of my life, but that the gospel is meant to saturate our entire being so that we live this life, this deeply integrated life of faith. And so we see this in Paul's crowd cloud, also known as Romans 16. And there's one person that, that fascinated me 
or many that did, but one especially. Romans 16, 23. I'm sorry, in, in 21, Paul has, or tw- verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That promise of Genesis 3. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And then he sends out greetings from the people that he's with there in Corinth, writing this letter up to Rome. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sospiter, my kinsmen. And you get this shout out from the scribe writing with them. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, it's in his home that this house church in Corinth is meeting, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greets you. Is that name Erastus, the city treasurer? For some of your translations, it translates it as the director of public works. For some, it's translated the chamberlain of the city. So who is this Erastus? It's interesting because most of us, if you were to be asked, okay, who are some of the heroes of the faith? I almost guarantee no one in this room would write down Erastus. And yet he's mentioned three different times in scripture. He's mentioned here in Romans. But he's also mentioned in 2 Timothy 4.20, where we're told that he remained at Corinth as, uh, as Paul left uh, to, to continue his journey. He's mentioned in Acts 19.22 as having gone with Paul on part of his Roman, I mean, part of his missionary journey into Macedonia. But it's that word that gets translated chamberlain or treasurer or director. It's literally the word in the Greek is oikonomos. Oikonomos. It's the work, uh, work means oiko. It's an administrator, a steward, a treasurer, or a state manager. The manager of household or household affairs. Jesus actually liked the term. He used it multiple times. In Luke 12, 42, when he says that, the, uh, it says the Lord answered, Jesus answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager? It's the same word. Whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their allowance at the proper time. In Luke 16, he talks about the shrewd manager. It's the same word. Paul uses it elsewhere when he talks about that we are stewards of the mysteries of God. We carry this treasure. We're entrusted with this gospel news. And the chief thing that is required of a steward, of a manager, is faithfulness. In Titus 1.7, Paul writes that it is the elders of the church that are the stewards, same word, of the church. In 1 Peter 4.10, it says that every Christian is a recipient of divine grace and a steward of the grace of God. It says that as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God that every one of us is given a gift by God that we're meant to manage well, to hold it like treasure, to be faithful with it. 
But in Romans 16, it's not just this sort of metaphorical every Christian role of being a steward. It seems like quite literally, Erastus is a steward of the city. That he has a role of influence and responsibility for the city, Corinth, where he lived. Now, what's amazing is uh, for basically 2,000 years in Bible translation, trying to figure out how to translate that word of, okay, this is uh, Erastus, the steward, the manager, the treasurer, the director of the city. What could that possibly mean? Well, in 1929, they were doing an excavation in Corinth. And right outside of the, the big theater that they're excavating, there was a paved street. And there are these paving stones that laid out in, in front of the theater. And one of those paving stones had an inscription on it. And that inscription read, if you want to go on and pull up the picture there, Erastus, in return for his Adelship, paved at his own expense. Now, an Adele was an elected office of the Roman Republic. They were, they were responsible for the maintenance of public buildings and public roads and the regulation of public festivals. They worked for the good of the city. So it's amazing, and I love it whenever this happens, but in 1929, we get this archaeological historical nod to what the Bible had already been telling us for 2,000 years. Now we have this man who stood at the shoulder of Paul while Paul was penning this letter to the Romans, who had a position of influence in the city, so much so that there's an inscription there forever marking his name as having made a difference in the city where he lived. I love that. I love that it wasn't just that he was entrusted as a steward of the gospel, that that was primarily who he was and what he did that he intentionally lived in such a way that his life and his work, his vocation was a blessing for the place where he dwelled. And what would it look like if we all lived as Erastus? And our vocation, our work with the, with the relationships and the responsibilities that we have, that we saw it as the Bible so often uh, challenges us to, we saw ourselves as not working for man, but for God. That we saw the role we have as being one that, that God gave us intentionally to have influence, to bless and to serve. That everywhere we go would be better because we were there. That our neighborhood would be a better place to live because we live there. But our our office would be a better place to work because we worked there. That our school would be a better place to go because our kids went there. What would it look like to live with that kind of intentionality that the people of God who are called to be a light to the nations, a blessing to the world would actually live as the blessing that they are in the places that we live and or that we inhabit and dwell and walk the most often. What would that change for you? On Tuesday morning at your staff meeting, on Thursday afternoon as you're, as, you're, as you're working on your curriculum or your project plan or your marketing to actually see the role you have as given by God to have influence and to bless. to recognize that we exist as signposts of the kingdom pointing to the reality 
of the day that will come when God makes all things right. When the fullness of God's presence, when his will is done here on earth as it is in heaven. It makes me think of Jeremiah 29, seven. Let me pull up that verse. The people of God are, are thrown into exile. They're taken out of their homes and moved out to the edges of the, the Babylonian empire. And yet they still cling to their faith and God gives them a word through the prophet Jeremiah. And this is what he tells them. Not simply hold on till you can go home. Or so often is the way that we can live as Christians, just to hold on, to bare my teeth and to grit my way through this horrible world until one day we can get to heaven. But they're in exile in this foreign land, in this pagan place. This is what the prophet tells them. To work for the peace and the prosperity. It's actually just one word. It's the Hebrew word shalom. It's also translated welfare, the well-being, the wholeness of, for all things to be as God intends them to be. That is what shalom means. A Genesis 2 reality. A Revelation 21 truth. Shalom. Work for the shalom of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. For in its welfare, its shalom will determine your welfare, your shalom. What does it look like to work intentionally for the shalom, the peace, the well-being, the prosperity of the places that we live, work, and play? To pray to the Lord for our city to ask for great and good things to happen, to ask that by God's power and his glory that his name would be made known more than simply material prosperity. But what do the people of this place need? What do the people, your neighbors and your friends, your coworkers, the soccer moms and dads, what do they really need? reconciliation with God, restoration into wholeness, spiritual and emotional and relational well-being. Pray to the Lord for your city. That as Christians, we care about all kinds of suffering. Care for the vulnerable, for the voiceless, that we use our influence to bless and to empower those who don't feel like they have any voice. And yes, we live as exiles, just like they did back in the days of Jeremiah. This world is not our home. That is why it always feels like a strange place, a place that's out to get us because this world is turned against us. But how do we live for the place that is against us? How do we bless those who curse? It's Jesus' prayer in John 17. Jesus praying to the Father on the behalf of those who would believe in his name. And this is what he says. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So sanctify them in your truth and your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus' prayer is not that they would be to make them not of this world, but not to take them out of this world. 
One commentator writes that Paul's repeated reference to the work of those he names, talking about Romans 16, reminds us that what is true of Paul is true in all workplaces. Here, where we spend much of our time each week is where we will either learn to walk in the newness of life or remain mired in the power of death. In our workplace relationships, we are invited to seek the good of the other according to the model of Christ. And it is often the mundane work of our minds and hearts and hands is where we are offered the chance to become channels of God's grace for others. Your work matters. Your presence in your home, in your neighborhood, it matters. Rooted in the reality of what God has done for you, recognizing the identity that he has called you, what he has named you, the unique aspect of God he's meant for you to display and to carry. Living in community in this three-dimensional way of life to live, on inten- to live with intention. And so we come to the final chapter of Romans 16. Now to him... Sorry, the final paragraph. This last prayer of Paul. Now to him who is able to strengthen you or establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. I love that he calls it my gospel. And all, all the way through Romans, it's always the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. All the way back at Romans 1, almost every chapter through references the gospel at least once. But here at the very end, it's his gospel. And why does that matter? Is this a different gospel than any other gospel that's been preached? Is it unique to Paul? No, it's the gospel as revealed in Jesus. That's confirmed by the Holy Spirit but it is deeply personal to Paul. It defines his life. It defines the way he thinks. It defines the way he lives. It is almost like his own breath. It is my good news, Paul says. And it is my good news that is rooted and centered in the teaching of Jesus. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, this mystery hidden, not something that could never be figured out, but rather something that was previously unknown, but now being revealed that God was working in and all and through all things, all the way up through history, all the way through biblical revolution, revelation, all of the Old Testament stories and encounters, all of them was God's hand at work, ultimately fulfilled in pointing to Jesus. But now disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. We see even here in 16, Paul's focus isn't just simply that they would be a people that get this, but they would be a people that get this so that all nations would know this. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. And so I wanted to end our study in the book of Romans and declare this good truth together. This God who seeks to establish you, to strengthen you, 
It's the work of God in you. Even as we talk about the triangle and the crowd cloud and the, the table, it can feel like oh, all these things I'm supposed to go start doing. But the point of Romans all along has been what God is doing and has done. The pressure's not on you. It's not for you to go do, it's simply for you to receive, to be open to God's work in you. And so for some of you, it is that first step is simply just receiving the good news of Jesus Christ for yourself. Anyone in here that just simply just needs Jesus to bring wholeness and healing, forgiveness, to release them from the bondage of shame and guilt, to receive the grace of God as revealed in Jesus Christ, to let that old life die with Jesus on the cross. There is no condemnation now for those in Christ Jesus, as Romans 8.1 says. And to step into that newness of life, a life that God promises for those who receive him, that he calls children of God, he will give his Holy Spirit to be in you. The gift of the presence of God with you always, forever. And there are some that as God is working to to establish, he has rooted you in his his love, rooted you in grace, and now he's growing you in to the man or the woman that he always envisioned you to be. And so maybe this morning is about receiving the work of God, establishing you in this way of life. For some, as God is growing, it is to recognize the fruit that he is bearing in you and to give him thanks for the good works that he's doing through you. We come together on Sundays in this rhythm of worship, of opening the word, not because it's the the fullest expression of our spiritual life, but as as that reminder to empower us to live this kind of life the other six days, 24 hours, seven days of the week. That's the life of the gospel. And so wherever you are, the question has stayed the same. Way more important than anything that I ever have to say from up here is what God is wanting to say to you through his word in your heart. God, what do you want me to know? What are you inviting me to do? What would that next step of faith look like? And so with that, I want to invite you to stand and I want to read these words together as we come to the close of this beautiful, powerful letter of Paul we'll put them on the screen so we can all read from the same version but let us read these words as, as, a, as a prayer and as praise the Romans 16 there it is so just take a breath I invite you to take a big breath in And may these words be true in and through you. Let's read them together. Now to him who is able to establish and strengthen you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's worship God together.